0: Teachers are so important. Like, they actually are.
1: Care about it and, like, actually try. I believe it is a beautiful piece of art. Welcome along to See Me After Class for 2020. This is a podcast that emanates from a beautiful school in the Southern Alps of New Zealand. Now, let's meet the team.
0: And here is Kathy, a parent who aspires to make connections in a community to build a successful future. This is Chris, who aspires to be an
2: agitator who tests the boundaries just to see how the system reacts.
1: And this is Anna, a silent observer who's a go-between between the students and the teachers in a classroom.
3: This is Renee, who aspires to forge a progressive and creative path.
1: And together, we are See Me After Class.
0: Hello everyone, welcome along to See Me After Class. We are episode 56, it is week five of term four and the countdown to the seniors finally leaving us for their exam leave has begun i think
1: it has i think you had your final social activity that you were responsible for organizing the leavers dinner last (sighs) night
0: Yo, that one's off the plate. That also <laughs> was lovely and delightful, but man, yeah, it's 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 nice to see the back of that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're big. They're a big deal, and mm. they're quite a lot to organise as part of a school day, so congratulations to you.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Nice work. And we're all four here. How is week five of term four feeling to you, Anna?
0: It's interesting,
3: isn't it? Kak and I were just talking about it before we arrived and talking about the fact it's only Wednesday, but I feel already I've done about three weeks within one week half of a week so it's kind of busy. What about your week Cathy? Yes, full is the word I used. It's getting to that
2: point and you always think that you might change it but at this point in the year every week feels full.
1: (laughs) As in um, Southern Hemisphere school we have summer coming, we have the end of the year coming, and we have Christmas coming, <laughs> and they all come at once.
2: And I, I do often point that out to my North, northern hemisphere friends, that it's not just the, the, the stress of any one of those, it's the stress of all those things together, mm-hmm. which is very hard for them to understand why I'm...
1: especially because they're quite different types of things mm. um, you know a <laughs> summer holiday and a Christmas celebration aren't usually the same things you have to be concentrating on at the same time and coordinating in relation to each other certainly not for northern hemisphereians.
0: no and then for teachers you add the end of the school year and all that comes with that the wrap up of final grades and things like that reports yeah. r- reports are due for our junior teachers and exams exams are here and students begin to stress so so it is. It is pretty. It's a pretty enormous a few weeks. This next passage of time,
1: and and the weather's great. And actually, all you want to do is just you go know, outside, go outside, <laughs> or swim in the lake, but not quite yet. So okay. we're we're on the topic of courage, and something we thought we might talk about is sort of stepping back into our official podcast roles as teachers and parents and um, support teachers, and just talk about perhaps moments that take courage in the, in, in the execution of our role in a school so we're each going to share an experience that we've had perhaps or speculate about experiences that take courage in our everyday school lives does anyone want to start?
2: I'll start the parent will start <laughs> I think about the how just showing up takes courage sometimes and that's true in lots of scenarios in life But in a school setting for a parent, it is such a microcosm and a subculture, this this place that we are in. I remember before my kids were at this school, I was terrified of the place, I had very little connection with it. I've grown through my community role, I have grown, kind of nibbled around the edges and made connections, not as a parent, but then when your kids are actually here, it's, it's different again. And I've found that I've had to advocate for my kids sometimes on particular issues, particularly if your child doesn't advocate for themselves in a big system like this. It's a, it's a reasonably large high school that we are in. And information is not as readily, your hand is held a little more through primary school, mm-hmm. and then you get to high school, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, why aren't they talking to me every all the time about my Darling little angel, and the wonderful things they're doing. And even the absence of that sometimes can make you think, oh, what are they doing wrong? And there's nothing wrong. <laughs> it's just a different system. So, the lack of information, and we've touched on this before in the podcast, just how much information parents feel they need, how much teachers feel they need, um, navigating that. So, in terms of courage, and I don't find it so difficult myself now, but I certainly can understand how for some it is hard to to reach out to make those connections. High school may not have been a great experience for parents themselves, and that, that all those anxieties can come back. Um, I think there's also a fear of perception, and if you're seen as the a helicopter parent or a meddling parent, either by your child or by the school, because there's a bit of reputation, you know, you, you want to have a, I you know, I don't want... I'm looking at, at Chris and Renee and thinking gosh i i would hate for you to to Think of me in some of those boxes we put people in sometimes, or we can't.
1: I've never had a helicopter that I've felt has come too close. <laughs> from <laughs> me or from I'm anyone? From anyone. No, I'm, that's good. I'm all for helicopters. Mm. I, would, I would like parents in the classroom, and you've come to my class, not mm. where your students are present, or your children are present, but at the same time, that was awesome. And mm. I th- saw you as partially being there as a parent, and I mm-hmm. think that's great. Mm. So from my point of view, I feel like the door very open but I understand that parents do feel scared I, I thought could I ask to go back and ask you to characterize what scared you about the school before you knew it you know how you said before you <coughs> kind of had a had children here and your own role here mm-hmm. what was scary about the school
2: it was just the unknown it's a it's a system it's you know a total of well these days about what 1500 people altogether of um a subset that you just don't know, you don't know the rules, you don't know where things are, you know, literally going and, you know, I know kids sometimes will come before they start here and scope out where the classrooms are, you know, in the evening or on the weekend, so that they know what they're doing on day one. And so, as a parent, you know, just there's just a bit of stress in that. You know, mm. oh, where is EC one? Mm. You know, for <laughs> that meet, that parent meeting, I may or may not decide to go to.
1: Certainly couldn't tell you myself. I don't <laughs> know where half the <laughs> classrooms are in this school. They just they seem to be randomly numbered.
2: Yeah, well, that, that's true. So that's part of the unknown. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's it's pretty simple, really. I think it's just the you know the, the lack of understanding about it, and then having a role teaching in the school, just the, the occasional role that I have, you get to know things a lot better, mm-hmm. and you see it from a different perspective. But even that takes courage, because I, I don't think of myself as a parent when I'm in the classroom mm-hmm. teaching, but I am aware, been, I'm, I'm made aware sometimes that the students, and even the other teachers, think might think of me as a parent first, as opposed to a, a teacher first. and
1: I think they would. I think that would be your primary role in the eyes of most people in the school, even though you do come and mm. teach students and yeah. do other work with the school as well. I would say that if it's fair to say that that would be the first <gasps> thing. Darn
3: it! I wonder, though, I
1: wonder if it's about the age of the
3: children that you work with, because I work with a big age range of kids, and the younger ones have no idea really what my role is. And because I think the age that I am and the way that I come into the classroom as well, there's an automatic assumption from them that I must be a teacher as well, which I am a qualified teacher. They just don't know that I was a PE teacher. So for them, I think, I wonder if the age group... That you're working with is the deal that maybe parent first teacher second but I I wonder if that's because some of them know that you are somebody's mum within the Mm. school as well
0: you're working with a peer group Mm. at your children's Mm. that's right and so I think that automatic thought of oh there's so-and-so's mum Is, is quite a natural connection for not just the students to make but also those people who do teach your children as mm. well
1: mm, I'm interested true. because I'm not a parent these things always interest me so forgive my kind of harping on about it but I'm interested in why it's a problem that you're seen as a mum first why that would be disappointing to you
2: I think it's about being taken seriously in the role that I have, which is which is teaching, and I'm not a qualified teacher, so maybe there's a piece of that in it as well, right. um, but I have for my fourth year of coming in once a week, so I am here regularly, and I feel like I've, I've uh, learned a lot and assumed a particular, um, that I'm actually doing it okay, or else someone would have kicked me out, and so I guess it's about being taken seriously in that role.
1: Right. Um, I take you seriously in that role, but I... Also, take you seriously as a parent, Mm. which is also a really important role. If that makes sense. And there
2: are other parents who teach at the school who have you know kids Mm -hmm. in the same. So I'm not alone in that. But yeah, yeah, it's just one of those. Maybe it's one of those multiple hat things. Going back to the the Mm. personality, your multiple personalities. (laughs) (laughs) Multiple identity. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So awesome. Anyway,
3: so everybody's now looking at me. uh, (laughs) um, Courage, being brave. I experience this, I think, uh, I have regularly and I wonder if it's about putting yourself out of your comfort zone and I feel as if I regularly put myself out of my comfort zone, take a breath and then take the step anyway um, into the wild unknown, so whether it's coming to a new country, coming into a school um, where um, I don't know the system, we've literally been in the country for three months and very similar to you Kathy, coming into an environment where I know this school is one of the biggest employers within Wanaka. That the majority of the kids that we see around town are the kids that either have been at Wanaka primary school or one of the other primary schools and then are at uh, MAC. Um, to come in here as well, there is it's a massive amount of fear, um, and that's me as an adult um, regularly putting myself uh, out of my comfort zone. The same as you, Kathy, wanting to validate who I am and why I'm here, I think has been really important. Um, wanting to get into classrooms and make an impact, make a difference to the kids' lives as well. It's interesting because I have always said to the kids and I've always introduced myself as Anna, not as Mrs. Brown. I still get used to trying to call myself that even though I've been married for 16 whole years because I think of my mother-in-law when I think Mm -hmm. of Mrs. Brown. (laughs) Having said that, I chose to call myself Anna and to be introduced as Anna. So some of the kids, I think, don't take me seriously because of that. Again, that was my choice, and I've, and I've continued to go on with that as well. However, with that, I find with some of the kids that I've worked with, they think it's a bit more of a casual relationship that I have with them. And for some of them, that's essential, and that's a really vital role that I think I play within their classroom experience. For one or two of them, I think they really enjoy testing the boundaries, and unfortunately it's boys, and usually it's year 9 and 10 that I find that the experience happens. Um, with one uh, boy that I uh, experienced this with and feeling that feeling of courage or being able to find my own voice, was a boy in a class decided that during a science class he would try and poke me in the back. And initially I just was thinking, that's peculiar, somebody must have just brushed past me. How could that have been if somebody was stationary at mm. their desk? And then it happened a second time and really quite viciously. So in my, so again, I am a reader writer for a child who has dyslexia. I'm an essential part of their school day, otherwise they can't do their work. And at that point, probably something, I wouldn't like to say snapped because I felt as if I was in control of the situation. I turned around and said, don't do that to me in a voice as loud as that, probably louder. Um, Because of my accent, I think it comes out in my ears, it comes out twice as loud. And the boy, he was embarrassed. I didn't want to make him feel embarrassed, but I wanted to make it clear that it's not all right to treat anybody like that, whether I'm a teacher, whether I'm a TA, whether I'm a pupil in the class, that is not acceptable. And I think, unfortunately, I see this sort of behaviour with boys regularly at that sort of um, age, of thinking that they can push the boundary with women um, and push the boundary with me. So I'm making it very clear that that is not the way to behave with me ever. Now, to follow up with that, I spoke to the boy at the end of the class. I said, hey, that was an interesting way to treat me. What's going on? And again, he was, he was embarrassed. He said, I'm, I'm really sorry, Anna. I said, I accept your apology, but you understand that you can't do that to anybody. Not me, not to your teacher, not to anybody else in the class. And he put his head down and said, yeah, I'm sorry. And I really hope, having had the conversation, we have a great relationship now to the point when, he, when, he, when he passes me at school that he'll always say hi Anna and I like that, that maybe our relationship took a wee bit of a dent and I definitely felt, um, I felt embarrassment rising over my whole entire head because I had made everybody pay attention to me which is not something that I would want to do and everybody pay attention to the boy in question as well However, we've moved on from that. We move on quickly and we've now created quite a strong relationship and he always is respectful to me from now on. But I'd like to think that he's, he's now an example to the rest of his class of how we treat each other in a classroom. But not just that. I'd really hope that he would take that into um, his personal life as well and just be a wee bit more mindful. I know I'm talking about a 14-year-old boy. You vote, you're the only person in this um, podcast that's experienced being a 14-year-old boy, Chris. So I don't know what that experience is like. I understand with a wee bit of research that sometimes boys, when they're that sort of age, do before they even think and then question themselves. Like, I, I don't even know why I was standing up. I don't even know why I poked her in the back. Mm. So I do have a little bit of um, empathy. I do try and understand why this behaviour happened. And I do try and rebuild the relationship with, it, with him as well
1: mm. i yeah. would say though um the other thing that you're communicating which i would say in my world is the most important thing to communicate is the boundary mm. and especially you asserting the boundary for yourself mm-hmm. rather than referring to someone else to mm. assert the boundary mm-hmm. because that's the message that the students need mm. is that the boundary's been broken and that is not acceptable, and you have the uh, the integrity and the self-respect to assert that and mm-hmm. insist that it is respected. And f- as a female, mm-hmm. I think particularly that that's a really good thing for everybody to see happening. Mm-hmm. So that's and, also important. Yeah. The relationship with the child is actually subsidiary to that.
3: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I do think that this podcast has brought so many questions up Um of my role in school of uh, us and the power that we have to help kids show them show them a way mm. one way um, and if I can impact that class not just that boy but if I can impact that class in a positive way mm. and see that let the girls see there's a woman standing up for herself mm. and that's alright for that woman to do that it's, it's I see.
1: good mm. for mm. that woman
2: yeah, to that do role that role model oh, positive, is, mm. so
0: important
1: and it's um, as you say it takes courage mm.
0: that was going to be my question actually (laughs) thanks there Chris (laughs) um my my question Anna was going to be to you when you're in a classroom situation like that when you're not and I'm going to put air quotes around this the teacher the official teacher at the front of the room in in control of the entire Mm. bunch of students sometimes (laughs) um do you find that asserting yourself like that and pointing out maybe a behavior or something that's happening in the classroom takes that courageous voice, like do you ever feel that
3: you have to just take the step to do it? I think a couple of times I've done that and I thought well, I actually haven't built the relationship up with the teacher enough to be able to, to make um, an impression or that the right step in the right direction with that pupil. I think the relationship has to be built up between myself and the teacher in order for me to feel as if I have the permission to make sure that I'm doing the right thing by that teacher, however there are times when I have just literally had a quiet word for somebody and said, Not acceptable, mate. It's not going to happen. And then again, I'll really try and, if I've said something, I'll try and follow it up again at the end of the lesson. I, find, I have found with my own children as well that if something has happened, let it just cool mm-hmm. for the rest of the period and then readdress it and ensure that it's a positive outcome. At least I go away thinking right, I feel as if I've made the right choice then and I've also feel as if I've given the child the opportunity to come back and give me some feedback if necessary and then move on from it quickly.
0: And there
1: goes Kathy's on Ooh. her way. Yeah, I want to say goodbye.
2: it takes courage to drive the school vans. That does in the <laughs> and that's just what I'm about to go off and do. Uh, good we're luck on a field trip in my class.
0: So
1: yeah. wish good you luck. luck. Have a great time.
0: Enjoy. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, bye. I was just going to say the process that Anna has just outlined with giving the cooling off and then revisiting and trying to tie things more towards a restorative or positive bent is Mm. exactly the um, stance of a PB4L school, so nice role modelling there Anna. (laughs)
1: And and what's PB4L?
0: Positive behaviour for learning.
1: (laughs) Tell us about that then.
0: (laughs) you like me to really go into that?
1: (laughs) Well you've introduced it now, our audience will have no idea what you're talking about.
0: PB4L is an initiative that, um, well it's an acronym that's used in New Zealand school setting and it's this notion that we can guide our students towards um, dispositions or behaviours that will hopefully aid them or impact them positively by recognizing or rewarding positive actions and if those actions aren't positive giving them time to reflect and having that restorative chat with them rather than coming in from a a punitive or punishing angle um so i guess that's my nutshell pb4l Mm. description
1: there that's good and and that that applies to a lot of kind of conventional behavior in the classroom but when it comes to kind of physical assault which is what you're talking about Mm. uh, pb4l is, uh, is bypassed and yes. you just take instant action yes. <laughs> and, so, and so it's important that you understand when you're you know working with kids and also uh, we communicate to you as a support teacher mm. uh, uh, sort of the uh, boundaries that are clearly defined mm. around standards of expectation you know you have the Uh, freedom to assert those, regardless of whose class you happen to be in or any of those things.
3: It's true. I feel like if I'm a member of a team, and I'm an important member of a team, collectively the teaching team can work effectively in a classroom. And Mm. if you do have the back of of a teacher, which I did, and she was brilliant, um, I felt completely comfortable and knew that I had made the right decision. Um, and following it up as well. And she followed it up too with him as well. So I I felt in that situation, I had made the decision very quickly, but I had done the right thing and I had made an example of myself in a positive light for
0: anybody else that needed to see that.
1: Yeah. What does courage feel like to you, Renee?
0: Well, I've been thinking about this a little bit during this conversation and listening to to both Anna and Cathy, and I think that for me, courage uh, as a teacher often comes... Uh, and I'm talking maybe a wee bit more outside of the classroom, when you're operating or your values align in conflict with um, the people or establishment around you. And so something that comes to mind is often, um, uh, sometimes on on extracurricular trips, (laughs) this is where I think courage comes into play. If you're away with a group of Um, people sometimes it might be parental support or it might be um, colleagues teaching colleagues and they act in a way that doesn't align with what is right or what are the rules I guess of the trip and you have to be the person that says that's not okay or Mm -hmm. actually you have to be the person that moves it higher up the Mm -hmm. chain and reports it. I find that takes a lot of courage because you end up with a little bit of a label um, that you're a tattle or a spoil sport or, or you, you're you not uh, operating within the secret code of, of, of being away on a trip mm-hmm. or something. And so I, in my experience, and I've had a couple of times where I've had to draw on that courage to either say something or do something about actions that don't fit within the scope of a school trip. And I've, I found that to be a bit of an interesting journey to come... To come um, to grips to with sometimes because it it can be really tough it can be really it can be really isolating mm. We'll know this as a as a parent
3: the one person I would definitely want if 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 teachers or if support people were um, put in charge of my children is that I would want to know that somebody like you had made the right decision for the safety of my children. Um, my two boys have had camp in the last couple of weeks, and if I had received a phone call about something going wrong. And if teachers had made the wrong decision, like you're describing, I would be horrified. Those teachers would be horrified. Those support people would be horrified if something had gone wrong. So know that you are making the right decision uh, from a parent's perspective, 100%. So your bravery is so important to me as a parent. So thank you for stepping out and stepping in and saying that.
1: I think sometimes the courage, there are often consequences for going against the social norms mm. or the the kind of routines of behaviour and um, that's I think part of what courage is, mm. is being willing to live with the consequences. You've had to live with the consequences yeah. of speaking up. Um, it, has been, it, it, it hasn't been easy for you or made easy for you and you've sometimes had to speak up and then speak up again and then speak up again when it's clear that what you're saying isn't, isn't people don't want to hear it. Yeah. But I think we come into the territory and thinking at the moment about Things like the Catholic Church and all of the things that are starting to become revealed about their tendency to conceal all of the pedophilia that occurred. Mm. If we don't speak up about things that we know are wrong in relation to children, then we are actually supporting those things,
0: it's and, enabling.
1: And and we may actually find ourselves pariahs in our mm. in our in our place of work because that can be the way that it works, but we still have to do it.
0: Absolutely. But but
1: that's courage. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's it's the instance or the moment of acting in the way you know you should, but it also is continuing to act that way or standing alongside Mm -hmm. yourself, I say, you know, backing Mm -hmm. your own decisions or moral choices so that – and I think one of the reasons I feel courage is so important in the world of education – is that it's about children Mm. and they are under our protection and we have to get over our anxieties about Mm. uh, the consequences of saying something courageous that might not be appreciated by others because we've got a larger obligation Mm. and so it's important for us to be talking about it and affirming it in each other Mm, when it does happen.
0: Mm. I also think there's only one way to make positive social changes in the world, or any kind of changes in the world, and that's to teach our students how to step up and use their voice when they feel they should, and and to recognise situations where it is right to say something, even if it goes against the grain of the social norms that Chris has just been talking about. Like, I think that's vital. And
1: you you teach that, so you You should act that way. You should model it. That's right, and I think one of the examples of you putting that into, truly putting it into action in our school community, is that racism awareness event that you coordinated all of the students that produced that event you created the conditions within which that could happen and in a very self-effacing way you didn't try and take credit for it yourself as a teacher but you are the the adult behind that movement and all of the students that i've spoken to in my conversations with them about courage have made references to that event so so they've, they've all it's a it's a it's a pivotal event for most of them in their own journey in terms of having courage and speaking out and considering the experience to have been a positive one. Mm-hmm. So the courage that you can show and allows you also to have the moral authority to ask it of others. And so there's also Actually. this thing that I think is, and you know, I, I acquire this moral authority to myself as well, to say, yes, I believe that we must do the courageous thing and, and act according to what we believe to be right I will do that myself, but I also expect it of you. Mm. I've always expected mm. yes. it of you and I have always been satisfied with the way that you choose to do that. And, I, and I'm saying these, this in these terms as if I' as if I'm somebody because I think we should do this for each other.
0: Yes. Accountability yeah. is, is important, especially when you're in a, a, a mutual working friendship relationship with someone. Yeah. Like you've got, it's it's always got to be part of the dialogue, and I think it's affirming for your your own um, your own values and your own moments where you feel like you need to step forward to see that happening with somebody else as well. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And if you if you start acting with courage, then you start creating opportunities for other people to also exercise their courage. You start demonstrating that it's. Yeah going to be okay. Yeah. And so we've certainly drawn strength from each other I in relation so, to that. I think so, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it's also really good to hear that you're modelling that for women in the mm. classroom, mm-hmm. and for men, but as a woman, you're modelling how to establish and maintain Absolutely. that uh, self-respect and also expecting that respect to be shown to you.
0: Absolutely. Courageous conversations
1: that's it I that think we it. made it to the end of the conversation <laughs> <laughs> lovely well we're still bringing um little moments and interviews into this conversation from students and so you'll be hearing more from others as part of this but it was nice to, nice that we got our, our word into this conversation as well
3: it certainly is I'd really like to hear your take on courage maybe next time
1: maybe well you can ask me questions
3: we will Ooh, look forward to that yeah. interview style <laughs> all right <laughs>
1: okay awesome thank next you everyone, everyone. Thanks. see you next week bye, bye. bye. This was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net.
0: And mine is at Renee Plunkett too.
1: See you next week.